0: from the School of Broadcast and Cinematic Arts at Central Michigan University. Welcome to Depth of Field, a podcast highlighting the careers, experiences, and accomplishments of our Broadcast and Cinematic Arts graduates. I'm your host, Patty Williamson. Join me as I chat with media pros who reflect on their time at CMU, their lives and careers after graduation. Along the way, they'll share advice they have for anyone looking to work in a wide variety of media fields. And that's why we call it Depth of Field. Today's guest on Depth of Field is Scott Hoover. He's a BCA grad who's been working in LA as an entertainment journalist for more than 20 years. Thank you, Scott, so much for joining us today for our first episode of our new podcast, Depth of Field. I'm wondering if you could just start out by telling us a little bit about how a guy from Michigan ends up with a job that everyone in the world wants, being able to cover celebrities on the red carpet, how exactly does that work?
1: (laughs) It wasn't exactly planned, but it worked out really nicely for me. Um, You know, I had I had come to Los Angeles with with an idea that I wanted to be a screenwriter and had kind of made a couple inroads there but I'd always also been a journalist um, because while I was at Central I, I was a double major in BCA and also English and I worked at the newspaper um, throughout most of you know my, my undergrad and I think was like maybe three credits shy of a journalism degree so <laughs> I was always you know a writer um, at heart but but so super interested in um, in Hollywood and, and the history and, and the, what was happening in the moment. So when I moved here, I needed that first job to, to get started. And I ended up getting a job at a newspaper in Beverly Hills, a weekly newspaper had been around for 30 years. And that was a really interesting entree into the world of Hollywood because that city is so closely aligned with Hollywood, and so much of the people, so many of the people who live there are involved in the industry. So, along with covering school boards and, and city meetings and and police, I was, you know, I, I was a big Oscar fan and always had Oscar parties, in, you know, in my apartment at, at Central. And I'm like, I want to go to the Oscars, and their headquarters are in Beverly Hills. It seems like they might let me. And guess what? they did (laughs) so um you know so i started covering sort of tangentially some some entertainment stuff and that kind of evolved over a few years where i left the newspaper i worked with the rodeo drive stores they basically have like a chamber of commerce just for that street um, so I, I published a promotional magazine for them for a couple of years and just kept getting closer and closer to entertainment. Meanwhile, having like various degrees of success with screenwriting, nothing getting made, but occasionally getting paid to do something, which is half the battle. Um, wrote a book about Rodeo Drive as a result of my experiences and then needed a job um, because that book was like a nine month process. And by the end of it, I'm like, you know, I might need to have a job, even a career that is something I can you know, really rely on. And I ended up, believe it or not, um, somebody from Central, a friend of a friend had forwarded my friend a a job posting that he had seen and said, you know, this sounds like something for Scott. And my friend sent it my way. And I said, you know, it actually really does. And that was with a website called hollywood.com. And that was kind of as the internet was taking off. And that was one of the, you know, there weren't that many very well-established um, entertainment websites at that time. And Hollywood.com was, was one of them. And I, I got in and everything kind of went really great from there. And I've been an entertainment journalist ever since.
0: When you first came to CMU as a student, maybe fresh out of high school, what was your idea of what you wanted to do as a career? Or did you even have any idea of what you wanted to do?
1: I had a few ideas. Um, My initial, you know, I was always a writer. um, And I was also, um, I think if you asked anybody that I went to, you know, grade school to high school with, people thought I was going to be a comic book artist or, you know, some kind of commercial artist. And I did political cartoons for the newspaper while I was in school. But my initial thought when I started was that I, I was leaning toward probably journalism, maybe graphic art. And as my fallback was sort of like, I could always be an English teacher and be happy. Um, It wasn't until the beginning of my sophomore year that I took my first BCA class, which was the, the introduction to film. And that just completely, it was like the world shifted. Like, you know, it was the Wizard of Oz, everything went into color. I'm like, I wanna do something in this field. Like, I don't even care what it is. I just wanna do something. And that's where my focus was. I kept my English degree going because I was I was also very into that. Um, but I knew that film and television, and and specifically the the bigger stage of like Hollywood, was where I really wanted to go. And so, followed the BCA curriculum, and then I stuck around for a year after graduation as a as a grad student. And that's when I really focused on writing screenplays and took an independent study um, and really kind of taught myself. There wasn't a whole lot available at that time in the early 90s to to educate yourself, but um, one of the professors had handful of screenplays that he was able to give me I was able to buy you could always buy for some reason because it was nerdy you could always find (laughs) scripts for Star Trek the next generation that were available to buy um and so I I basically you know wrote like I think four or five television screenplays um I really wanted to get into television um that last year um and then I decided I wanted to kind of see see what happened for me
0: how hard of a decision was it for you to actually move to LA? It seems like a daunting experience for a lot of our students and they always have questions about, but I don't know anyone out there. How am I possibly going to be able to make it? Was that difficult for you to make that choice? Um,
1: I wanted it very badly. I wanted to make that move. I wanted to experience a city the size of LA, and I was very attracted to sort of the California lifestyle, I didn't really know anybody. But the only daunting thing about it was, I moved shortly after the LA riots, which coming from Michigan in the middle of the mitten was like, kind of a scary thing. Of course, by the time I arrived here, they'd already had the Northridge earthquake, and on my first week in Los Angeles, I, I I witnessed with my own two eyes, the OJ Bronco chase. <laughs> so that was, that was an interesting introduction, but I didn't know anybody. I had a, I had a friend of a friend living down in San Diego, going to school there. So I moved to San Diego for about a year, a little over a year and kind of struggled because it was a recession time. But while I was struggling, I was writing and writing and writing and writing. And I got, I was able to get an agent um in Los Angeles. So that enabled me to make that move from San Diego up to LA and give things a go. And so I had my my kind of journalism career and my bid for screenwriting going at the same time.
0: Do you have advice for our current students who might be looking at trying to break into the film industry or any part of the entertainment industry out in the LA region? What would you tell them to do to prepare to actually make that move?
1: Um, definitely whatever area it is that you want to work in, get as much experience where you are right now, as you can get as much hands-on experience. And if that is, if that's something as simple as, you know, buying final draft and writing your screenplay and learning how to do it and learning the form and, and the, the rules, um, and being ready to break them when it comes time to break them, do that. If it's production, find whatever you can do at Central to get your hands dirty with equipment um, and technique, find internships if you can. That was one thing I didn't do that I probably would have been you know, better off if I had done. Find movie shoots, see if you can get like a production assistant job on a movie shoot or a television shoot that's happening in Michigan, um, just to have that extra level of practical experience. And then network. It's a lot easier to network today with social media, Um, with the way that everybody in the department keeps up on everybody else. Everybody probably knows somebody or knows somebody who knows somebody. And honestly, nobody here is rooting for anybody to fail. You know, I mean, maybe there's a few people that are like, like, you know, especially I've always found people that I've encountered from Central in particular, from Michigan in general, but overall people, you know, people want to see you succeed especially if they recognize that you have some talent it sometimes can be challenging to get people to to do the things you might want them to do to give you a helping hand because everybody's kind of kind of busy and self-interested in their own ways but I found that encouraging if you know if somebody didn't necessarily knock a door down for me just the encouragement was was a lot and once you get here you hit the ground running like LA kind of requires you to do that and you can't help but know somebody doing something in the industry whether it's your neighbor it's your barista <laughs> like if somebody's doing something somebody knows somebody and it, it's it's like the, the the film and television industry is to los angeles what the auto industry is to detroit it's it's the legacy of, of the city and you're going to find somebody who knows something but come prepared
0: Yeah, that's a good comparison. I think that sort of helps students to feel a little bit better about making that transition and not just to LA, but even to New York or Atlanta. I think leaving your home state for a lot of our students and venturing out to do a career that seems like a dream in many ways can be a little difficult for people to picture that they can succeed in that way. So I guess kind of transitioning from there I'd love to hear about what a typical week is for you in your job as an entertainment journalist.
1: Yeah, it's we're I'm hoping that we're getting closer and closer to typical coming out of uh COVID. Um I feel it I'm I'm close to that. So let's see if I can remember what it was like. <laughs> I mean, as a as a freelancer and I've been a freelancer for about probably 14 years now. Um where I just, I work on my own, but I have like clients and my client base shifts because budgets shift, editors move, things happen. Um, So I've had to be somewhat nimble in, in what I do. Um, But one of the things that I like about being a freelancer is that I can, um, I can cover a panoply of entertainment things. I'm not stuck in just one beat. And so, you know, I work with clients like People Magazine has been a client of mine for quite a while. Um... I work with a couple of the trades. I work with um, the Hollywood Reporter. I work with Variety. I work with tvguide.com. I've worked in the past with InStyle. I've worked with local Los Angeles-based magazines. And, you know, I've worked with nerd websites, comic book-themed websites, you know, genre-themed websites, um, all kinds of places. And that, that the best part of that is that I get, to, I get to kind of sample a little bit of everything. So, you know, I... This week is, is seemed like it's a little quieter, but I spent a lot of time, um, I spent a lot of time going to movie screenings. Um, I spend a lot of time watching uh, advanced episodes of television. And I take assignments where I do a lot, I have a, spent a lot of time in my career covering red carpets and events. Um, so you know, one of my clients will say, hey, we've got this movie premiere coming up. We've got this TV show premiere coming up. We've got this charity gala where there's gonna be a bunch of celebrities. Um, we've got something from the academy that we want to be at, and they, you know, ask me if I'm available, and I usually, you know, try to make myself available to my clients, and so I do a lot of that. Then I spend a lot of time on the phone doing, you know, one-on-one phone interviews um, with people. There, there was a lot more in-person going on prior to um, the pandemic, and hopefully we'll get back to that, but lately it's been a lot of Zoom and a lot of on the phone And again, that's like, you know, a client like TV Guide will say there's this show that we want to cover the new, for example, like the new Wonder Years is is one of my shows that that I'm working on. Um, So as opportunities come up to do press for that show, I'll jump on the phone with Dula Hill or the showrunner and do an interview there. So I get to kind of keep a broad focus and play to all my interests. I can talk to, you know, a major celebrity like a George Clooney about what's going on with his twins or his political aspirations or you know his memories of being a a struggling actor or I can talk to a showrunner about you know how they adapted a you know very popular novel into a you know 13 part tv series or I can talk to a filmmaker about their way into a certain project or the inspiration behind it it's it's kind of the best of all worlds for me
0: so for someone like me who doesn't talk to George Clooney very often as and in fact never what is that like? I just can't imagine just hopping on Zoom and talking to George Clooney.
1: It's really, it's always surreal. I've been doing it as a consistent vocation for, for this is my 20th year as, as an entertainment journalist specifically, and then dabbled in it before. What's been interesting is that it never stops being surreal. And I've, I feel at least for me, there's always somebody that I'm excited to talk to um, that maybe I've never talked to before, or maybe they're just always, you know, they're, they're always an interesting conversation to have um, or they're just brand new. And you just want to know like, what's this person about? Um, But it's, you know, it's, it's a unique sensation, especially when it's somebody that you have a very personal investment in. Um, I always like, you know, anybody that I liked when I was 10, (laughs) you know, Mark Hamill, Harrison Ford, like those were big deals to me. Um, And then because the, you know, there's so much intersection with Hollywood and the rest of the high level operating world, I've met, you know, former presidents, I've met Prince Charles, you know, that's the other thing that's really interesting is the the unexpected people that you encounter at different events or, you know, have different reasons to interview. And that's, to me, like it's kept me very engaged. I should say it's kept me on my toes because I want to do a good interview with somebody. And then it's weird, like, you know, the George Clooney in particular, I've been talk- talking to George off and on for probably 15 years or so. And to just have a familiarity and to have that person kind of know you is it's always a little strange, but also it's bragging rights. It's cool. You know, it's, it's, and there, there are people who who aren't what you imagine they are. And that's always an interesting experience to have, too.
0: I so want to follow up on that, but I won't put you in a bad position. So instead, I'll ask, who are some of the people you've been most excited to talk to over the years?
1: Early on, I'm going to say, you know, Steven Spielberg was a pretty big deal um, for me as far as his, his impact on my tastes, you know, and, and the way that I saw cinema. And he's still such a huge presence and huge player in the in the industry. So that and and is, it has turned out to be an extremely nice man. Like I really enjoy the times that I've gotten to talk to him. Um, people of of his generation, his ilk, you know, Martin Scorsese is fantastic. George Lucas is always an interesting person to talk to. Francis Ford Coppola. Though on the flip side, you know, there, there are people who are coming up. As I got here, people like Quentin Tarantino and to have the opportunity to talk to Quentin um, over all this time. You know, I, I literally came to LA when Pulp Fiction opened and um, the same summer. And to have kind of gone on Quentin's ride as a, as a viewer and as a journalist for all these years has, has been really fun. And then there's the people that knock you out because of the the status they've had in your life. You know, and William Shatner, I always get a kick out of. Um, Adam West, I loved, and he was such a nice, nice, nice guy. People like that. Um, anybody from WKRP in Cincinnati, <laughs> or cheers. It's 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 a treat, you know? I mean, nobody does this because they're not a fan. Um, I think that's the first step in getting interested in it.
0: How do you actually find a great soundbite or do a compelling interview when you're in a situation like a red carpet event. It seems like it's so difficult to get anything significant from that situation, but it seems like you're always able to do it.
1: Red carpets are tricky. it, it It takes a certain kind of person to do red carpets. I've done them for a long time. Most people don't do them as long as I have because they're easy to burn out on. They they can be frustrating um, and they've evolved over the years. When I started and I covered a red carpet, um, the opening of of a particular movie, I was pretty assured that I was going to speak to the main star, the director, you know, most of the central talent. As time went by, that became uh, it really went the other way, and it's like you couldn't count on it unless you were with a major outlet right at the top of the red carpet, like an Entertainment Tonight. Or, luckily for me, I've worked with people for a long time, and they've always had pretty decent you know placement but it's hard to get that sound bite a lot of a lot of outlets want to just send you with a list of questions and you're kind of obligated to ask those i've been lucky in that i've had a lot of leeway to freestyle (laughs) for lack of a better word um partly because i think i do try to find unusual ways in and then i listen Which a lot of people get nervous and they they they're just reading from their list you know or or have their list in their head and they're not really listening to the responses and finding further paths to go down um i try to have fun i try to like engage them by by you know just being charming or you know giving them something to to laugh at and hopefully that gives them i like to trade information i'll share something about myself with you with the assumption that maybe that'll help you feel comfortable sharing with me, but it's, it's tricky. And especially in a carpet situation, you don't always know who you're going to encounter. You're not always prepared for who's going to be there. Um, there's a lot of surprises and a lot of things going on everywhere around you. So you just have to both, it's a combination of both having a lot of focus and also letting go. Um, and, being in what, what the moment brings you and trying to make the best out of that. And then just knowing, just knowing your job and knowing the kinds of questions your outlet is gonna find valuable um, to have the answers to.
0: Yeah, how much does the outlet that you're working for really influence the direction that you go with your interactions? I know you said some give you the, the list you have to hit these questions, but are you always very aware of what the audience is that you're going to be trying to connect to?
1: I try to be, and I'll, I'll tell you, it's, it, it's another thing that's changed over the years. Like I used to have one of my clients that I, that I still have now had a, you know, kind of a, a laundry list that you could pull from things that they were working on things that, you know, topics they were specifically interested, kind of buzzy things that were going on general overall things that they were gonna, always knew they were going to be interested in. And then before an event, you would jump on the phone with your assigning editor and have maybe a half an hour conversation and go down the list kind of brainstorm together and often the big advantage was finding out what your outlet already knew that they didn't need to know so you could just bypass some stuff that might have seemed obvious but like they already have that information they have that quote in another context so don't worry about it over the years it's really become you're kind of on your own at least i am with my clients um so if i'm working for like people magazine i know what they're interested in anything that has personal connection there are certain shows And films that they are definitely interested in details from, you know, the the story, the plot, behind the scenes things, but they want friendship things, they want relationship things, they want parenting things, they want fun, cute items, you know, things that are, you know, after 40 some years, they know the readership's going to respond to. So it's a lot. (laughs) It's a lot, but it's fun.
0: So have you ever been in a situation where you've talked to someone and you've decided to hold back information they've given you or where someone's asked you later, oh, could you just keep that off the record, but maybe didn't say it was off the record to begin with? I
1: can't think of a time that that's happened to me, but I do know people that that's happened to. I know people who, reporters who have you know reported accurately things that have happened, and the the subject has said no 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 that does that didn't happen or I didn't say that and for like political kind of reasons the the outlet has gone with the talent rather than their own reporter. Um, I'm not too fond of that scenario when I hear about it. Um, I did have a very minor. I remember somebody going on Twitter and denying reporting that I had, had done. Um, and I'm like, I've got the audio. <laughs> like I could put it out there on the internet, but I don't really care. Like, I know what you said um, and you can deny it all you want, but I know what you said. So.
0: <laughs> and it didn't hurt your reputation at it didn't all.
1: Hurt me. He didn't come gunning for me or like single me out. And I didn't get mobbed by like fans. Cause it was something that the, actually the fans would have been very excited about. And it's something he said, and I think he got his hand slapped by higher-ups because it wasn't a done deal and it wasn't ultimately going to be a done deal. And so I didn't face a lot of backlash because nobody had a vested interest in attacking me about it.
0: What are your plans for the future? Do you see yourself doing this job for decades longer or do you see moving on to something else at some point?
1: It's interesting because, you know, Coming out of COVID, it is that time to sort of take stock and figure out what what other things that I haven't done might be available to me. I love this; it's it's great fun. It's I haven't worked a day in you know twenty years. Um, it's work. Don't get me wrong, but I've kind of felt like I've gotten away with this. <laughs> for a long time. And I still really enjoy elements of it. There are elements of it that I'm a little weary of, like we all get, you know, in our in our jobs. So I was I became busy enough doing this over the years that I really did put my other writing aspirations kind of to the side. And this just kept me, you know, engaged and going, going, going for a really long time. I now I've had that sort of breather to take stock. And so now I'm like, Getting back to it because it's time to get back to it, but also looking at other other avenues. And I've got, you know, I've got a project of my own that I've been putting together that's presumably going to start out as a book, um, and then with any luck, maybe turn into um, some kind of TV show or streaming series or, or film, depending on what happens with it. That's that's a long road, but I've I've made those first steps. I haven't worked on staff. I've been permalance at places like CNN and NBC, but I haven't had a staff staff job in in a long while. And I'm entertaining that idea just because I've been. I always call myself the man out in the wilderness. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm Lewis and Clark that you send ahead the advance team, and it might be nice to go back and be part of a an in-house team and and do that again. And I've also thought about you know with all the experience that I have, maybe I'll start my own outlet. I certainly know, I think, who's good at what they do in my field um, and who I would want to work with. So that's something that I kind of keeping in the back of my head. I haven't done the same amount of preparation that I have for other, other things. But yeah, it's it's definitely that, that moment of like the path, the path is for sure going to branch off. And I'm just kind of like taking little steps down a couple of different paths to see what it's going to be.
0: What would you say with your career so far? What are your proudest moments that you've had?
1: You know, for some reason, one that stands out to me was in 2015. It was um, would have been the hundredth birthday of Frank Sinatra, and I'm a huge, huge, huge Sinatra fan. Um, and I never got to meet him. He was we we coexisted in L.A. for a few years before he passed away, and I had had an elaborate scheme to make contact with him that, then he passed away. And I, (laughs) but it came to be his 100th birthday. And I pitched a story to one of the local Los Angeles magazines that I work with about Sinatra's Hollywood, because people think of Frank as, you know, New York and New Jersey, where he came from. They think of him as Vegas, but he lived most of his life in Los Angeles and in Palm Springs. And I thought, let's look at, you know, the chairman of the board's LA, and I got to dig real deep. I had a lot of advanced time on it and I got to find find a lot of people who knew Frank, who talked about him and what he liked and loved about Los Angeles and his life here. I talked to a lot of people who admired him and were inspired by him that have major careers now and I you know got to talk to his family and got to know his daughters and his granddaughters and um, get some insight from them and they shared some personal Photography from from the family album, and that was that was such a fun and exciting thing for me. That and I was so pleased with the results because usually, like something comes out and I'm like, I I'm 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 gonna assume that was good. Like people keep hiring me, <laughs> so I'm super. Scared. But that one's or one well, I will I will dig it up again every once in a while and just kind of scan through it because it was there and there was so much so much cool information that I was able to pack in there too.
0: Is there anyone else who has perhaps been the one that got away other than Frank Sinatra that you didn't get to talk to, or anyone that you are hoping to get to talk to in the future that you haven't?
1: Who's left? I have not met Mick Jagger. Um, I've met Keith and got to interview him briefly for like five minutes backstage at an award show, Um, and he was everything you wanted Keith Richards to be. that's that comes to mind a lot of music people because I don't cover that much music directly so when it when I do and I and not to tell too many tales out of school but I hate covering like music events like the Grammys and they're just a different level of organization and crazy that I I'm not accustomed to and don't love so when I get to do something with a music person it's and it's it's more direct and one-on-one it's it's exciting so and I've gotten to meet two Beatles um so that's pretty cool trying to think like I'd love to have I've met him many times and he's he's been really generous to me in giving me like quotes um providing me with like emailed quotes for for pieces is, is Martin Scorsese but I'd love to like sit down for have a good long talk with him I really love I don't know if the people out there know this but like Warren Beatty is a legend And I've met Warren Beatty eight million times and he is the hardest person to pin down while he is very charming and fun to have a conversation with. It's like a dueling match because he just doesn't like to reveal a thing. And so I would love to corner Warren (laughs) for like an hour and see what I could get out of him Um, because he's so so adept at being slippery.
0: I so want to ask you about people that are difficult, but I won't. Uh (laughs) <laughs> not going to put you in a bad situation so you, instead
1: <laughs> you got to figure out how to deal with them if they're a big name you got to be prepared um or i mean there's one person that i just assume never speak to again but um it's all part of the job you know and it's like there's some somebody with a with a temperamental reputation that i somehow managed to find the right tact with and the last time I spoke with them, got everything I needed. (laughs) It's trial and error.
0: (laughs) I would think that there's a lot of ego to deal with in the industry. But at the same time, I would think that once you get into situations where you at least know people on some level, and have talked to them enough that they perhaps open up a little bit. I don't know if that's true. It is true.
1: And it's definitely like, one one of the things that's my advantage at this point in my career doing red carpets is like you know if they look down the line and they see 30 outlets um and that's daunting for anybody to want to go and do you know have 30 different conversations with strangers um but when they see a familiar face like that helps me a lot it helps me with and it also helps me with publicists because they're the gatekeepers and they 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 they, they you know, allow their talent to speak with you. That's kind of, that can be a bigger challenge. I've had enough, you know, experience and been around the block enough that, and I work with, with clients that that merit big name talent, but it can still be a struggle. I could, you know, I can have like some website that I want to do a job with because I like them or I like the you know the assignment that they're offering me but it doesn't necessarily mean i'm going to get the talent because they don't have the reputation or the or the traffic or the audience that the that the gatekeeper you know wants wants to see their their client get so that's that's challenging you don't know, most people know nowadays that there's cameras everywhere and so you don't see a lot of diva-esque behavior in in public i i don't never really witnessed all that much of it behind the scenes. It's, it's mostly people who are, who are just have kind of a grouchy temperament in general and there's just no getting around it.
0: I've got to think that social media and the changes that have happened in the industry have really changed what your job is over the years.
1: Oh yeah. I mean, there was a period in the early 2000s to mid-2000s, that gossip was driving everything. You know, it was like us, it was the heyday of Us Weekly and everybody wanted to be the next Us Weekly or, you know, to beat them at their own game. And and it was also a, a big time, you know, post-September 11th was a big party scene in LA and it was the, the advent of the famous for being famous people. And I covered a lot of that because I was just getting started. So, you know, I covered Paris Hilton in the day. i covered Kim Kardashian as she, as she broke out. And, you know, and I watched Lindsay Lohan going from being like a really promising young actress to somebody who, you know, you, you felt bad watching them kind of lose their grip on on what they, what they had had and something I feel like it was, it's the ubiquity of of camera phones um, and the ubiquity of, of social media really eventually got to, People, I guess, I hate to use the word more legitimately, but, you know, performers and and filmmakers and stuff got more guarded because they saw these reality people were willing to just serve it up on a platter, but they weren't. So that made things a little more tricky, even as I segued away from anything gossip related. The opportunities for that stuff just don't exist in the way that they did 15 years ago. Um, The club scene in LA for celebrities is not the same at all. Um, you don't see them out. They go to private functions more likely. Even something that was used to be a blast and everybody enjoyed the the Golden Globes. Um, regardless of of the problematic nature of the Hollywood Foreign Press Association, um, the evening of the Golden Globes was always fun because it was all the studios through a party. It was all at the same hotel. so there were you know four, five, six different parties to go to everybody just hung out at the beverly hilton and circulated to different parties and parties would heat up and cool down and like it was fun like everybody had a good time something changed and now like almost as soon as the award show is over people go and where they're going are parties being thrown by their agencies and it's all sort of again away from prying eyes and there's still one or two parties um, like the in style party is still a good party. And I covered that for years. Um, and it was always fun, even even as the shift happened. But it's like, yeah, there's definitely like a desire to like be private. And that's, I think that's a weird built in thing about LA. As as social as the city seems, it's also like the city of Iron Gates. <laughs> and and that extends beyond the industry. That's just a lot of the nature of of the the citizens of LA for some reason. And it seems like it always has been.
0: Is this a career that you'd recommend for our students? Are, would you say, yeah, come on out here, get into entertainment journalism, get started, get an agent? Or is it something that maybe you'd caution people against?
1: The only caution that I would offer is that it is it is not for the sensitive. I don't know, maybe I, I might really even consider myself sensitive when I got here, but you you can grow a thicker skin. Um, but it's, it's difficult because anything in LA that is is even tangentially related to the industry is can come with a lot of rejection um can come with taking a lot of feedback can come with taking a lot of um judgment um a lot of comparing yourself to this person or that person and and quite honestly even getting a lot of stupid feedback a lot of you know a lot of a lot of feedback that is just dumb or inaccurate or not helpful and that's that's a big part of everybody's job, you know, from from being a journalist to being an actor to being a filmmaker to being a makeup artist or, you know, like it just comes comes with the territory. And so if, if that's tough for you, then you need to figure out how you're going to handle it. If you like it, know that like you're going to like be able to dive in and do that thing that you you feel like you're going to love and live it. And it's going to become a, a huge part of your life if you're able to, to crack through the right barriers and you're going to enjoy it. It's also going to take parts of your life that you dream about and they're going to become routine and you'll have to see how you face it when things become routine. But I, I've certainly enjoyed it. It's been all over the place. I've had, I've had super, super thriving years. I've had years that have been okay coming out of, you know, through, through pandemic, I was fortunately in a good place, but work certainly was like hard to come by, especially when you cover like things live, things that are happening, you know, in the world, Um, and it, and it wasn't just me. It was like the whole, my whole industry suffered movies, weren't coming out. (laughs) So, and things like that are going to happen. Like it's, it's an, it's an unpredictable industry. You can be more stable than I've chosen to be because I've liked my autonomy and my independence. And that part of the fun too, is like, okay, how do I survive next year? Like, you know, like if you're, if you're up for those kinds of challenges, um it's good if you shy away from that then find the more stable paths in the industry but
0: at the end of the day you can't beat the weather. How's the work life balance doing a job like yours it seems like you need to be working almost around the clock. It it can
1: you know really eat into your hours and there was a lot of years where I was perfectly fine with that. Um I didn't work and life were the same thing and I didn't didn't care about a balance i need i remember going through a period when i was single though of like going on a date and i i would say I think in my head i'm like i ask strangers questions for a living i really don't want to do it over spaghetti and you know i had to kind of get over that um but i've been with my wife now dating and, and married for it'll be 11 years and, and next month and um that changed it to a degree. She's in the industry, so she understands, and also has her own, you know. She's she we're literally like the Montagues and the Capulets. She's a publicist, so she's on the other side of the red carpet, velvet rope. But we understand, and it's actually been a, a real boon to both of us to understand what the other side has to contend with when you get super pissed off, you know, my wife can say, well, the reason that that publicist did that is probably because this, 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 I'm like, oh, I hadn't thought of that. Um, and vice versa. But anyway, you know, it became more important to me to have of more of a work-life balance, um, beginning like a decade ago. And basically technology saved me because I just kept finding more and more shortcuts, to do my job faster and be done with it sooner, especially the late nights um, to really curtail those. And that's, that's been great. Like, because, you know, now I, now I have like my system, I can come home from an event, do do a few things I need to go to get things in progress, spend some time with, with my wife and with my dog and, uh, and then come back to it, you know, before, right before I go to bed, tie it all up and then wake up in the morning, check it. And then go about my day. Um, see if there's anything urgent that came out of it, and it's just a lot different than it was a while ago. And and thank you for you know whoever invented AI transcribing really really did me a big favor.
0: Despite all those changes, do you ever find yourself drawing upon things that you learned back in BCA in your college years?
1: Absolutely. I mean, I think the fundamentals that I learned. You know, I taught television production as a graduate assistant, and um, the fundamentals that I learned, you know, in the classes that prepared me for that, you know, you and I know that at that time, the BCA department didn't have the greatest, most cutting edge equipment, but you learn the, you learn those fundamentals. And if you embrace that, and it was the same thing in the journalism department, you know, I learned like what you needed to do at the most basic to, to do your job well, to, to make the best of what you had. And even my first job in Los Angeles, working at a newspaper in Beverly Hills, they didn't have computers when I started. I was doing the old like slice it up with an X-Acto knife and put it on the page until I made them get computers. <laughs> so it's always like it's it's having that grounded sense of what it is that you, you know, you're trying to do. And I'll tell you, I see the effects of skipping that today because there was a period in that in that boom time in entertainment journalism of the of the mid-2000s, a lot of people got brought in because they had been working in a shop that a lot of celebrities shopped in and were providing items to one of the, you know, gossip-oriented magazines. And they say, hey, come be on staff. Like, you you write these gossip items, you know, very cute. Or people have their own blog and they they managed to get a, like, following and have some traffic, but they don't know how to copy edit. Um, or they don't know how a production... Really runs, you know. They've never set foot on a set. I've had the advantage of, you know, mean, you know, spending hours and hours on sets and watching people like Peter Jackson work, um, and it's not a whole lot different than when I watched in the in the BCA department. It's just they have a lot more tools and toys and and people to help. So I think that you know, Central for me was so crucial to getting those fundamentals down and also just opening the door, you know, taking, taking a introduction to film and some of the film genre classes, like, like you teach, you know, they, they teach you to think deeper about movies, like both what they're about and how they're made. And I think that that those are all important things to, to have in your head. If you really want to do this, somebody can be fantastically talented and not have a lot of that and still get somewhere, which is nice. I mean, I think I had a certain aptitude for what I do. That school wasn't going to, you know, change too much. But I love having all of those things that I learned, all those, those you know, essentials that I learned at Central still in my head.
0: I didn't ask about favorite memories. That was one of the things on my list that I blew by.
1: Um, I'm trying to think of favorite memories. I mean, one thing that I mentioned was, you know, going to going to the set of the last Hobbit movie and watching... You know, I went all the way to New Zealand (laughs) watching Peter Jackson at work and seeing like what what everybody's really dealing with physically available on the set and understanding that, you know, so much of it needs to be filled in and how much imagination it requires from both the people behind the camera and the people in front of the camera and also how much they'd actually envisioned because they had an entire this is one of the coolest things I've ever seen. It was like a whole room filled with the sets built to scale completely. So they always knew exactly what the sets looked like in miniature. So they could figure out the camera angles and what was going to be where and what they had to work with in physical space that didn't exist, that was going to be digital space. And then on top of that, Ian McKellen was there and he shot his last day as Gandalf, you know, after six movies. And was in a great mood. He's always in a great mood, but he was in an especially great mood. And it took, you know, to be able to talk to him and and do that. And then uh, when I got my first job at Hollywood.com in entertainment journalism, um, they, at the time, that first year I worked for them, they were, their office was on the Paramount lot. And I went in for the interview and I had been on a couple of movie lots before, but it was, the, it was like the classic, like walking to that office and there's aliens, you know, people in alien costumes walking over here and people in cowboy suits walking over here. It was, it was like, it was a special thing they might've put together just for me. <laughs> and, um, and so then, you know, I got the job and literally the office was next door to where they were shooting Star Trek Enterprise. And I'm a huge Trekkie. And they were also shooting the last movie with Patrick Stewart and, and that cast, the next generation cast, on the lot at the same time. And so just you know, I'd go to work and go up my stairs and I'd catch, you know, an extra in a Klingon suit catching a smoke break. And that that, that is so vivid, like th- things like that. And standing next to you know, Stevie Wonder, standing two feet from Stevie Wonder while he's performing a, a, you know, concert in a backyard of a crazy mansion. And I'm like a couple feet away while he's at the keyboards performing, you know, things like that. Even kooky things like not being able to get on a shuttle bus at the Golden Globes. And I was telling my wife the story the other day, Jackie Earl Haley, it was like around Watchmen time. I think he was nominated for Little Children at that Point, and I interviewed him left, right, and center for like a year. And he's like, you need to ride back to your car? Come with me. And he throws me in his limo and takes me back to my car. I was asked to cover the 200th episode of the Big Bang Theory. It was just another gig when I said yes. Um, I, liked, I liked the show. I liked the actors on the show. Um, I had good, good experiences with them before, but it was, you know, I was just going to show up and watch them shoot, watch them rehearse. And so I went and I, they hadn't told me, but the the special guest star, because they, you know, that show traded on cameos was Adam West. He was he was the special one. And, you know, that was talk about a gateway drug for my interest in entertainment was, you know, this Batman show, which was on the reruns when I was a kid. So I asked, they put me in a room off, off, off the set after letting me watch for a while. And they're like, we're going to bring the talent, you know, the stars of the show back and let, let them talk to you. But, you know, every for like 15 minutes apiece. I'm like, great is Adam West also going to do interviews? And they're like, oh, we hadn't thought about that. I'm like, I would love to talk to Adam West. <laughs> so, you know, I bring back Jim Parsons and they bring back Kaylee Cuoco and et cetera, et cetera. And then they brought back Adam. And i would met Adam a, a number of times over the years because I'm such a freak about Batman. But um, this was nice because I had got to watch him rehearse and I could tell he was actually a little nervous Working with it, what was you know one of the number one shows on television at the time, and he you know he was a little he was fine in his way, and I told him I'm like you are stealing every scene that I've seen you shoot, like you are killing it, and I go, people forget how funny you you are because he he is really good with comedy, and I think it really like perked him up, and we concluded the interview and he left, and he actually came back and thanked me for saying that. And he could tell that I was knowledgeable, you know, about his career and everything. And, and that meant a lot to That meant a lot to the, you know, the nine-year-old in me, um, but also to, to me, just to know that like somebody whose work engaged me so much as a kid, he's still doing it. And he needed a little boost that day. <laughs> and I was able to do
0: it. That's amazing. Any memories from CMU that stick in your mind from hmm. your college days?
1: you have a bleep button? Because I might. <laughs> there was a camaraderie that you know. Yeah, there was like a certain spirit of competition, but it, it was not cutthroat, because especially in the BCA department, everybody was in it together. In a way, you had you were going to end up in a class where your project relied on somebody else doing their job, which is. Hollywood, (laughs) really, which is any kind of production, like radio, TV, film. You're not likely going to do it in a vacuum, and so there was that was one of the things that I really liked is is you know being being sort of an only child and you know starting off somewhat more aloof. To that was that was super helpful to me to kind of go through those experiences, have that have the bonding, even the people that you know you wouldn't necessarily want to hang out with to find your, find your zone with them and know where and how you could count on them to do their thing. And, and seeing people that just had talent, you know, people seeing that somebody had an aptitude for being on air, for being a DJ, for, you know, even just, even something like being, you could tell who was a good camera person, (laughs) you know, Um, you could tell who got film theory and, and not everything was for everybody, but there was, if it was one of those things where it felt like a place for everybody, which was very different from a lot of other disciplines at, at Central. And when, when I was there, you know, you just, those, those were like, do XYZ and you'll succeed. Like you'll get the grade, you'll, you'll, you'll get the job, blah, blah, blah. But BCA was so, it's just like my career has been. It's like, it's everything's kind of a, a certain alchemy. And and that's what I really liked about that. And then the, the professors that I had were so knowledgeable and so into it and so fun, whatever their particular specialty was, that they made it all very engaging and they made you feel like you could actually have a hand in this down the line.
0: I think that's well put. I, I agree that there is an alchemy, I think, especially amongst our students. That with especially our co-curricular organizations, if you're working with radio or television, or now we have a record label, or you're part of film society or the film festival, I think it's the students really bonding together to get it done. And to make something that they're proud of, that even beyond the coursework, sure, the courses are important in getting the degree, but I think it's that, that work that students are doing sort of on their own where they're being creative and doing their own thing that's so important. I, I would say, like, I
1: wish, that's one thing I wish I'd taken more advantage of when I was there, and, and a lot of it was because the newspaper kept me really busy, and the newspaper paid money, <laughs> <laughs> and I was also, like, I, I had a lot of success with with my columns, the things that I was writing, and so I got a lot of sort of gratification and appreciation and free drinks out of that. (laughs) So um, but when I was in grad school and I realized like, oh, there was so much more here that I could have could have made it made, you know, made made myself a part of. Um, But I was glad that I got to do it when I did get to do it.
0: Scott, thank you so much for joining us today. I really have had a blast talking to you and hearing about what you're doing now with your career, your life. And it's so great to reconnect.
1: Yeah. It's like, it's, it's so funny to be, to, to be so far away and have spent so many years kind of disconnected. And now, you know, I I can keep up with you and and the people we went to school with and the people coming up in a way that, you know, and hadn't been able to for years. And it's really, it's really, it's something that I really, really appreciate is to be able to kind of like see the whole horizon (laughs)
0: Well, thank you so much for sharing so many of your memories and your experience with us. And you need to come back and visit. I will I will definitely
1: make a plan to come back and visit and talk to some classes and all your students can you know keep in mind that I am a freelancer so when they do get their careers going I'm always looking for work.
0: That's another episode of Depth of Field a production of the School of Broadcast and Cinematic Arts at Central Michigan University. Thanks to my engineer Michael Pawarski and my producer Allison Biss. I'm Patty Williamson. Thanks for joining us.